Welcome to the Live Curiously podcast from Joyce. I'm Tiffany Godoy. I'm a fashion journalist, author, video director, and consultant, and I'm fascinated with innovation. The curiosity that fuels my work also fuels my life. It's taken me from my native Los Angeles to two decades in Tokyo, now to Paris, and countless airplanes to document fashion culture's most provocative players. On this podcast series, I'll explore fashion culture and the people who continually inspire us. I'll share conversations I have around the world with some of the most creative minds in fashion, music, media today to find out how they stay curious and connected. This episode comes to you from Nina Ritchie headquarters on Paris's storied Avenue Montaigne. Our guests are the brand's creative directors, Rushmi Botter and Lisi Herbruch. The Parisian house of Nina Ritchie was founded in 1932 by Maria Nielli. Unlike her contemporaries, she focused on a French bourgeois clientele, later growing internationally famous. The brand's legendary fragrance, L'Air du Temps, is emblematic of the house's signature romantic, soft femininity. But in the hands of Rushmi and Lisi, Nina Ritchie is newly edgy, modern, and upbeat. The duo's collective experiences combine stints at Victor and Rolf and studying with Walter van Berendonck in Antwerp. Their rich sense of narrative references their Caribbean roots and Dutch upbringing. Rushmi is from Curaçao, Lisi from the Dominican Republic. In the summer of 2018, their menswear brand Botter won over the Festival d'Hier, garnering them the grand prize. Nina Ritchie hired them immediately. They were both only just out of their 20s and they had never designed women's wear before. Nina Ritchie's new vibe focuses on conceptual tailoring soaked in colors. More masculinity and combat boot than demure mademoiselle. These looks are coveted by Korean male pop stars and fashion folk alike. I'll let them tell you more about it. Okay, so what's your earliest memory of fashion? Uh, I think for me, the specific memory I have was going to an exhibition of Victor and Rolf and already having this love for the technical aspect of fashion, you know, like kind of construction-wise, Japanese techniques, you know, these were things that I was very interested in. In that time, it was more about, let's say, construction of buildings. <laughs> it was not really, like, set to fashion, and then I entered, like, this exhibition of Victor and Rolf, and I saw these amazing, amazing dresses, like, seeing that and then wondering, how is this constructed? How is this layered? How, you know? all these questions popping in my head while looking at the dresses or the jackets or whatever. I think that was the first time when it clicked for me, like, wow, what I feel like I really love can also be translated into fashion. How about you, Rush? Uh, what's your earliest memory of fashion? For me, I, I was always busy with fashion, but in our culture, it's not seen as a normal job or something. So for me, fashion was not really something, you know, that I thought about. It was just something I was uh, doing I was making pants for uh, my friends in the neighborhood, cutting up things, and everybody was coming to me if I could fix things. But then I saw like um, a proper fashion show on the screen of uh, John Galliano when he was at Dior. And then it got me emotionally, it touched me, and I was like, wow. That was for me the first fashion moment I thought like, oh, nice. You could really create a dream or anything that you think of, you can create in clothes and expressing through clothes. For me, that was the first contact with fashion. Mm. How did you dress growing up then? For me, not like uh, really dressing up, but I was always picking my own clothes since I was really small. You know, I have a younger brother, 
And my mom used to take us to um, bit cheaper stores to buy clothes for us. And I was three and my brother was two. And she always left me alone because I knew already what I wanted. And it came with white suits, with ties and stuff. And I was always dressed like this, not really uh, outgoing, but always... Yeah. Um, your mom told me you were always very detailed. Detailed, yes. Like, I was very detailed. detailed about having your shirts like in the pants and then yeah. a little bit out. And then I this had kind a period, of... yeah. That I, was, <laughs> I was in school and everything was going in my pants and my belt used to, to stick a bit out. And I was like seven, you know, and sweaters, everything went in and then tucked it a bit out. It was really detailed, you know, everything has to be perfect. But I didn't want, I have it still now, I don't want to look overstyled or something that you try too hard. But I or, think in that time you, you were not I, even thinking I was thinking not thinking about. of that, but wow. I was really detailed. That was your intuition. Yeah, yeah, mm. exactly. So you both studied in Holland and uh, then moved to Antwerp. It's a, it's a bit different. So I studied in uh, in the Netherlands and you started in the Netherlands and then moved. I did, yeah, and then moved to uh, Antwerp and I did there my bachelor and my master's. So four years study. Yeah, and I did four years in Holland and then moved in with him when he was still studying. Yeah. Yeah. What framed the decision to go from Holland to Antwerp and, for example, not to Paris or not to London? It was quite uh, easy yeah, for me. Because before getting into fashion, I was in the army for a year because I still didn't know that you could really properly study for fashion. And I was in the army and I was buying Vogue, and, but really secretly, you know, and reading it because it was not cool. If the guys saw you reading Vogue and stuff, you know, it's not cool. So I was reading Vogue and uh, then I saw Walter van Beidendonk, he's the head of the school. And he was the director and he was having an interview there. And I was like, wow, you can really study fashion. And then I decided to quit the army. And I went for a four years technical study in Holland to learn about clothing and stuff, how you can properly make clothes. And then I went for an open day because I didn't want to go before that to an open day of Antwerp because in my mind, I made it already really big. And I was really, um, I didn't want it to, how do you say that? I didn't want it to disappoint me, you know? And then I went with a friend to, uh, after the study, I went to Antwerp for the open day. And I walked in and I was uh, amazed, you know? I saw these drawings and I saw Walter sitting there. And it was a dream and I felt at home. And that was the moment I said, yeah, I have to go to this school. And of course, the Antwerp Six and everybody, you know? It was uh, almost a myth. Mm, absolutely. Um, you both have Caribbean roots. Yeah. Yes. So you were born in... Saint Curdesal, yeah. and then one of your parents is from there. Yes, my mother is Dominican. And then, so when you met in Holland, did you already feel like it was destiny? It seems so rare and kind of unusual. Uh, we live in a small village near Amsterdam, and her brother was my best friend and still is. He was uh, Dominican. Yeah. I was okay, from yeah, Curaçao. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's just as white as she is, but we share the same things, you know, uh, music, uh, everything yeah. in the same mentality and uh, how you care about your family. So that was normal. When we met, I think along the way, we found out also that we have a lot of uh, same kind of upbringing, you know, same kind of values in life. And I think that really felt like it was meant to be for us. And then I don't know how it clicked and how we learned about each other and also in a working atmosphere. Yeah, to me, it felt like a puzzle that fit, even though it, of course, it was never that easy how it sounds, of course. You know, we've had our struggles, like finding a way to work together and it's normal. But I think personality-wise and family-wise, I think how we see the world and stuff, it, we have the same vision. Yeah. 
Yeah. So um, back to this Caribbean man that seems to be the DNA of Potter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how did this figure become the inspiration for your early work or the, the kind yeah. of essence of the brand? So I think it kind of got shaped by both of us going back and forth to the Santo Domingo and Curaçao, you know, seeing family and, you know, having our eyes quite open always when we go there. You know, it's, it's really like these trips and with family and relationship with family from there and human relation, which is very important, which is there really different than here. Mm -hmm. I mean, people take really good care of each other and it's this... Yeah, it's a bit hard to explain because it's almost like an atmosphere that we try to create, you know. And yeah, I think that this is how it got shaped over the years, seeing how men there are a lot more elegant, you know, like really taking care of their self, like uh, even nail, like wearing transparent nail polish and, you know, doing their eyebrows and this kind of almost feminine touch to the masculinity in the Caribbean way, we found super, super interesting. Mm -hmm. and, and also because having a different mentality also, being really tough because they have to take care of the whole family and um, but still have this feminine touch. I think this balance is quite interesting. And it's um, when you see a Caribbean man walking down the street, you can tell, oh, he's from the Caribbean, you know? You, you can tell the difference, the way they walk, the way they uh, yeah, dress. It's, yeah. Yeah. And for us, it's uh, interesting to see. And we are really family persons, as you told. And growing up with uh, grandpa and nephews and mm. everybody around us. And it's an interesting story to tell. Yeah. I guess they don't know that they're so trendy, that fluidity, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. No, uh, they, no, they, they have they, no idea. They have no idea. Yeah. For them, it's normal to really take care. They are standing more in front of the mirror than the women there. Yeah. And the women are already a lot in front of the mirror. Yeah, and sometimes it's quite strange how how the roles of a man and women there are almost like turned, you know, that the women are more the tougher ones, you yeah. know, taking yeah. care of the children. Now, it's not for everybody the same, but maybe it's more the women being tougher for the family and then here it's more the other way around. I don't know how to explain very well. Yeah, and, and it's also, you cannot speak for everyone, but I think you're more uh, talking in the role that in most families, the woman has to be the father and the mother. And that's interesting to see how, that, how the roles are divided over there. I think for a young designer to figure out what they're going to focus on um, is or what your identity is, right? And how you're going to transmit that into clothes. That's half of the battle, I guess. Yeah. Was there a real decision to say, okay, this is something I want to interpret and, and explore and it's, it's that rich that I think that I can build a, an aesthetic on it? Mm. Really? Mm. I don't think it went so literally. I think we first found out in terms of silhouette, shape and looking at all the references that are out there already, like the history of fashion and all these things, there are certain elements that we love. And we first figured out this before we actually went into the search of, okay, let's explore who we are and let's mm -hmm. see how we see fashion and all these things. So it's really like a step-by-step -step adventure. And then eventually you get to the end, let's say the end, but the beginning, the end result of your, let's say the graduation collection and then the beginning of the career, let's say an hour, uh, how it went with us. It's a mixture of all these things that we love, but interpreted in our own way. Mm -hmm. Always looking back at the Caribbean world that we that is half of us. Yeah. So, yeah. I guess it's timing too. Yeah. And, and culturally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? yeah. yeah. These kinds of things yeah. as well. Exactly. I think that 
the collections initially, there was such a strong visual impact, very graphical, yeah. and um, a lot of details. Mm. Uh, anything can be an accessory. Anything can can kind of change the silhouette. Yeah. And again, avant-garde constructions. And I'm wondering, how did you decide on these signature elements? That's a good question. I think it's, it's very attached to the storytelling. So mm-hmm. uh, the story, uh, if you're talking about, I'm not sure we're talking about the same collection, but a lot of times it was, let's say, the Caribbean boy who we imagine wearing our clothes, who is kind of muse for us, um, being very tough, you know, having almost nothing in their house, but having to work with all what they have, not showing on the outside that they're struggling, you know. So uh, these are kind of storytelling things that we translate into layering, into falling apart, into having multiple textures woven together in one outfit, and therefore also having weird props, uh, styling, It always flows over from a story, from a concept, because we truly believe that everything that you do in a collection should have a reference to your research, to concept. Like, it should be a strong, coherent story from our designer's point of view, let's say, and that we really understand, like, what we are doing. Everything has a point. Right, there's a reason. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I felt like there was really strong statements. For example, I was at the the Festival d'Hier when you won, and... um, I really felt that there was something political mm. about that collection. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that fashion is political? Is it political for you? You want to talk? I... No. <laughs> no, I think it's uh, the, it's a question that's been asked a lot, let's say. And I think because of that first collection, people all, almost like to reference us as a kind of... Activist Activist designers. designers or you know what I mean? But so I think naturally, if you see the collections that flow over from that year collection we kind of step away from it maybe not really in a conscious way but it's it's for us a de- because it's still there eh? yeah but it's for us there and for people who want to uh, find out people who are curious and really uh, want to dive in and to explore you can see you can find it in the second collection but for us it was uh, we almost stepped away from it to do something else you know, mm-hmm. and not showing this, but still doing it from our heart, what we always do. Because, let's say, activist designers, uh, we think it's normal to, we have a podium to speak up and to show what's wrong. And for us, it's n- not an activist thing. It's how we were raised. And that's a human thing to do. And uh, we have fashion as a podium, so it's lovely to show it there. Yeah. That collection, you examine the fishermen that their livelihood may be dying out because of all yeah. the plastic and the pollution. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, looking at the environment, has, has that always been something you've thought about or is it just more of a recent thing that you happen to tap into? No, I think it's something that's always been in our mind yeah. because living in Europe, you see things around you, but uh, it's not so let's say so in your face but going to your family in the Caribbean it's a whole different story you know because I can remember as a young girl family gatherings are always close to the beach or always at the beach and uh, I remember seeing over the years the ocean change in such a way that it's incredible you know like seeing the beautiful coral reef that I used to dive you know with my father and it's gone you know it's not there anymore going into the shore and seeing all these shit uh, floating in the ocean Mm -hmm. but seeing really 
literal situations like fishermen just walking in the shore, like they walk until here looking for fish, you know, until their knees. And then way, way kilometers in the background, literally in the same vision, you see these giant boats just grabbing all the fish from the sea. And this guy has nothing to fish anymore, you know what I mean? So these are moments that hit us both, you know, that yeah. we see it and we we get very emotional seeing this. And I think we're kind of almost uh, lucky that we see that in those kind of moments yeah. and therefore can talk about it and, mm -hmm. you know, speak up about it because I think not a lot of people see it so literally. For us it was uh, just normal to do, eh? because fashion is for us something we have to do. We have to uh, to express ourselves. Yeah. Like someone can write a book or write a diary, you know. For us it's this, you know. It maybe it sounds dramatic, but it's like that because it keeps spinning in your mind, so you have to speak up about it. So I think, you know, you reflect this darker state of the world. Yeah. But I really see a, an optimism mm -hmm. in both Bater and also yeah. in Nina Ritchie. Yeah in the color and the silhouettes and the, yeah. there's a playfulness, there's a youthfulness, I think. Yeah. Where does that optimism come from? Is it like a conscious decision to change things into a positive light? No, it uh, sounds maybe boring, but it's also uh, who we are. Everywhere around us, we surround ourselves with people who are optimists also, you know? Our whole family is like that. I, don't see something else around us, you know, because uh, in the Caribbean, you know, the, the people have less, but uh, have much, much more fun with each other. And, you know, mm. yeah, but I remember always, uh, you know, if times got rough or whatever, you mm -hmm. know, it was always my mother telling me, like, uh, come on, uh, look at all the things that are right in your life. You know, look, at... it's always this positive approach to life that I think helps you further. You know, of course, there's a lot of things uh, wrong right now and we can keep on being negative about it, but we can also just move on and try to be positive and try to do the change that you can as a person. And I don't know, I think positivity is also very needed, you know, in the fashion industry yeah. right now. And so it's not really like a clear choice for us to say like, oh no, let's do it in a positive way. But we found out also that it was something that was needed when we put it out there. Yeah. Before, yeah, it's something that came quite naturally. I yeah, think. it's, it's yeah. Uh, organic. It, it's not like we said, oh no, we have to tell it in a more positive way. No, it's not like it's that. Impossible it's to it's impossible work like to, that. to work yeah. like that. It's just, uh, we spit it out almost. Yeah. Like nice. that. Good vibes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> LA vibes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when not at their day job at Nina Ritchie, Rushmi and Lisi oversee their menswear brand, Butter. They describe it as Caribbean couture. If you don't know it already, picture brightly colored, avant-garde constructions, gender-fluid styling, the use of graphics and unusual accessories that sometimes look like trash, are inspired by the chaotic ecological changes affecting the environment and communities of the Caribbean. Authentic storytelling has won the brand accolades in its short existence, like the 2017 Dries van Noten Award and finalist nominations for 2018's H&M Design Award and LVMH Prize. So Festival Dia was, you know, this big moment that really changed your lives and shaped your future. When you were approached about being the creative directors at Nina Ritchie, was there something that you decided uh, you wanted to accomplish because it's a big stage? 
Was there anything that you felt you wanted to make part of your mission in this experience? Yeah, I think a big thing for us was to bring a lot of uh, positivity and not like really uh, serious and uh, dark almost. For us, fashion is not like that, you know? It's fun, we want to bring joy, we want to bring a new fresh breeze, let's say. And at Nina Ricci, we wanted to show the new modern woman yeah. of today, how we see it. And it's a different woman than what we see now, we think. Mm -hmm. And it should be, uh, yeah, for us, how we see it is... Yeah, we really saw like uh, Nina, it's Nina Ricci, but we see Nina, it's a very, very young name like energetic name, you know, like I think the atmosphere around the name right now is super beautiful and we wanted to keep it, but kind of like fresh it up, you know, so more attitude, more boldness, color, you know, more, I don't know, I think it's what you say, the woman of today. And I know we are in Avenue Montaigne, but like the bourgeois woman, to me, it's not a realistic view of the woman today. So of course we're quite conceptual designers, let's say, but we always like to interpret this concept in something that you really want to wear, which is, of course, uh, always a search. And, you know, that's, that's the fun part about our um, process. But, uh, yeah, this is what we wanted to bring to the house as well, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah. I was reading about Nina Ricci, the founder. The Maison was started in 1932. Yes. And, you know, she was a contemporary of Chanel and yeah. Jean Lanvin. And, yeah. um, but she was much more focused on, like, her local clientele. Yeah. There was, like, a lot of realness. Yeah. yeah. But you guys are coming from a really conceptual background. You know, yeah. That yeah. was really, like, what sparked your passion into yeah. fashion, right? The complexities yeah. of construction. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Do you consider what it was initially, that it was much more, it was almost like practical, accessible? Yeah. fashion. Yeah. yeah. Do you think about that when you yeah, design? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, we did so many research on the archive and we saw the real pieces, but also an image and all uh, kind of books that they have in the archive. So we went through every, everything. And we understand Nina Ricci started as a porte you know, uh, even selling her patterns. patterns, you know, to other designers, etc. But if you look at our, let's say, short background, we always try to interpret our conceptual idea in a way that it's wearable, that it feels good to wear as well, you know, because we used to take our designs home and, uh, you know, put it on his brother or a nephew or whatever, and just ask like, okay, how do you feel? And it, it was always the response of, I don't want to wear that, but oh, and then wearing, oh, it's quite, quite comfortable. comfortable. Yeah, yeah. But so, I understand what you say, because it's not what you wear daily on the street. Some pieces that we no, make. No, some pieces not. Really no. conceptual. Yeah. It's comfortable to wear, but it's not a piece what you would daily wear. No, Some definitely, pieces. but we do that. Yeah, we found it really interesting to have the conceptual feel, to have the conceptual way of thinking still, but to make it more practical and desirable, let's yeah. say. This we found it really interesting because it's out of our comfort zone as well. And it's nice to be not in your comfort zone, you know? Mm. And I like this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But we've never been the designers that kind of like make museum pieces. No, or no, 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 no. We no. always have the focus like, okay, we want somebody to really wear it, you know? We, since our first collection, we wanted to take everything in production. I remember it, it was something we really think about always. So I think the balance is the most interesting part. And yeah. For us as well as designers to find the right balance. So, yeah, and the tension, yeah. to search the tension and the balance. Yeah. I think that's what we always uh, seek for. Um, what part of the archive are you obsessed with? Is there something that you're currently fixated on? Or? Oh, yeah. It moves, yeah. Yeah, we have certain different periods. But let's say we're very, very in love with coat, jackets, yeah, the tailoring. tailoring. It's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
but now the flu, we are also in the flu, let's say. The dress yeah, definitely. Says, it's always shifting, you know, yeah. because you it's like uh, going to a treasure box, you know, you find treasures and like, it's interesting to, to discover things yeah. that at first you may not like at first, you know, but it's interesting to discover it and to see it from a different point of view and to approach it. Of course, yeah, it's... And you go back to something maybe you saw last season, but now it's more interesting. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, youth culture is affecting heritage fashion brands tremendously, more than ever before. As young designers, you could organically put that into Nina Ritchie. Um, what makes you focus more on tailoring, for example, as the backbone, as opposed to injecting more of your daily lives into the brand? Um, wow, that's a good question. I think that comes... From it's what you say. It's like a backbone of a collection. You know, you always need to start somewhere. When I start designing, it's always with a suit. Yeah, yeah. And from there on, I start playing. You can almost see it as a structure. You know, a constructed thing. And I think that's our Dutch heritage, also. You know, the, yeah. the way you were opgevoed, yeah. raised, uh, yeah. really uh, constructed and strict and yeah, yeah. rigid way of, life, yeah. way of life that's really Dutch and Caribbean is more loose and you know yeah I think it's what very organized always <laughs> yeah you I'm not but yeah my, I see my father going with suits to work and yeah. the whole family in suits the men you know and so also uh, it feels like a good base you know of a collection I mean yeah there are so many things to play on in tailoring, you know. You can play in shape, you can play in lines, you can play in fluid tailoring, in more rigid tailoring. There are so many things to explore, you know. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it feels like the good uh, first uh, research piece, you know. And yeah. then from there on you can flow over to different pieces from the wardrobe. And So no sneakers and t-shirts for now? Oh, we do t-shirts. There are a few hanging in the back, but... Uh, yeah, we have, we have t-shirts. Maybe okay. sneakers come later. Yeah. 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 So you have multiple identities. You're creative directors of two brands, multicultural. When you connect with yourselves to start a new design concept or on a personal level, how do you connect? How do you get back into who you are? Um, I think it's exactly a question I ask myself lately. So it's finding the silence, you know, like imagining myself sometimes a little back in school, the time when you were studying, like... Uh, in exploring, yeah, yeah, exploring what you wanted to do yeah, in life and, you know, this kind of feeling. In a safe bubble yeah. also because uh, you could make mistakes yeah. anytime and it was good to make mistakes because you were in this safe bubble. Mm. Yeah, uh, because our career took so many big steps, you know, that you need to sometimes in your mind or also even in the environment go back. We go a lot back to Holland or to Antwerp. It's, mm -hmm. I mean, we have a lot of friends from school coming to Paris, you know, sleep over and stuff. And, you know, being surrounded by these people bring you a little bit back to this mm -hmm. period. And for me, this brings me back to, let's say, myself. Or yeah, It's yourself. not that I'm not myself right now, but yeah, how can I explain? Just you recenter. You. Yeah, 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 definitely. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And with the, with the people you feel you can trust, you know? Because it's hard in this world, but we have a small group of people we yeah. trust and uh, you can be yourself. And where you, if you go back to that feeling, you can do anything. Yeah, it's very grounding. Yeah, exactly. So how do you see yourselves growing in the next couple of years? What are your challenges personally and for Nina Ritchie, for example? A challenge for us is to do what we do and to still keep the joy, you know, in, in what we do. Um, yeah, the butter can stay our thing, independent, yeah. uh, no concessions, doing what we do to keep our 
why yeah. we started this, you know? Uh, we started this to tell our story and yeah. it's not all about the money, you know, and to do what we love and to be conceptual, to be yeah. storytelling. Yeah. We don't want to lose that and, and don't be, don't become, uh, because I see a lot of people in fashion uh, that are a bit bitter and we don't want to become these fashion bitter people, you know, like, oh, fashion, what are you doing? Watch out. Yeah. No, we want to have this naive feeling that we had. Yeah, that's a good one. Keeping this naive, keeping naive as, a way of seeing everything, you know. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. But uh, I want I want that for us. Yeah. So the name of the podcast is called Live Curiously. Yeah. You know, this is a new situation for you, but how do you maintain curiosity in design or even with Nina Ricci? How do you do that? How do you live curiously? I think I feel um, when I'm curious, we are um, out of our comfort zone, let's say. Yeah. For me, it's that. You're a bit uh, stressed about choices. You don't know what the outcome is. Mm. Yeah, you're I think when the, when the pressure is on also, you know, the... Yeah, and, then the, and you pressure yourself also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we are always quite curious about everything. I think it already starts when we're, let's say, in the middle of a season and we've seen stuff so many times that before we even show it, we already have like a handful of stuff we want to work on for the next one. So it kind of overlaps each other constantly. Never being too satisfied about something yeah. is eager to learn because I think we're so early in our career that, I mean, we have to learn so many things that this already keeps me curious nonstop, you know? Yeah, what you say, we're in this period and sometimes you even have to, for yourself, park some ideas or some things because we learn to research things very well to create something beautiful and really uh, something believable. So sometimes you park things and you don't want to research it right away because you know when you start researching, you yeah. go into depth mm -hmm. and you lose control. Yeah. And I think staying curious is be out of your comfort zone. And yeah. uh, I think it's that for, for us. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. And then having a good way of organizing your ideas because yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah. we have so much and we want to push them all that the message get blurred, you know? Yes. So this is then the contrary of being very curious and having a lot of ideas in one day that mm. you need to know like when to use them for what right you need a curiosity project manager yeah, yeah, exactly yeah yeah Definitely. if anyone out there is interested yeah. in this <laughs> call me that was Rushmi and Lisi the driving forces behind the new Nina Ritchie today Rushmi wore a baseball cap Lisi was in Doc Martens with her long hair pulled up and no makeup. They resonated a youthful nonchalance. During our conversation, these partners in work and life finished each other's sentences and laughed a lot. Uplifting energy was an accessory that you couldn't buy until they landed at Nina Ritchie five years ago. Their sense of optimism and a first-hand global point of view shines through. It's not so easy being an outsider, moving your life to Paris, designing women's wear for the first time at a heritage house in a moment of uncertainty. But their vision is a product of intuitiveness and trust, knowing when to go into your bubble in order to live connected to who you are. And if you're lucky, finding the right partner to be the yin to your yang. This is Tiffany Godoy for Live Curiously by Joyce.